listening to Not Good Enough, an inadequate response to inadequate responses. My name is Mitch Alexander. I'm Tom McLean. I'm Tom Lang. And I'm Evie. And we've got Isaac in our ears as well saying, oh, have you not read fucking anything? Uh, it's a full house this week. This is great. This is good fun. Uh, it's good because this is an extremely aggravating week we've had in Australian politics. I f- hate so many people this week. Oh. <laughs> I think that one thing that sort of keeps me sane during these trying times is for every time I open up my instant messenger to send a a group chat message being like, get a load of this awful villain. I hate them so much. I just keep in mind that I'm sending that message of hate to people that I love. (laughs) (laughs) So I keep it bottled up inside and I keep working on that large manifesto I've gotten one day. It's great. Group chats have been really psychologically beneficial for me in that everyone really hates the same thing in those group chats and we all just poison each other's brains effectively. I think they're also beneficial because they're literally the only social contact we get nowadays. It's good. (laughs) Um, I think a lot of the issue is is that not only is the government full of corrupt idiots uh, running an entirely corrupt situation, I think the thing that makes it the most difficult is that all of the media and the rest of the world is, is, is often under that kind of illusion that, oh, wait, the government did something corrupt? That's not right. What? They shouldn't be doing that. Well, like, yeah, get, get with the program. They're corrupt. <laughs> they shouldn't. Yeah. The constant, the constant, like, like eye rubbing. It's like this government did something corrupt. Yeah. No, the headline should be corrupt government does thing. But see, yeah. whenever, whenever someone doesn't do something corrupt, it appears that our reaction now is just to be really horny for them. <laughs> it's like, oh man, he didn't do I something didn't... wrong. Time to like rub one out. It's just like, why is this your reaction? Cool, cool. We're two minutes into the episode. We've already started <laughs> rubbing one out. There's just something uh, about people like owning up to a mistake, Lang. You gotta. I know, I know. <laughs> the Overton window has been shifted so far that we're now horny for basic human decency. <laughs> So to to draw attention to this, unfortunately, it appears now that we've moved on from Dan Andrews and we're now horny for the chief health officer. Um, I'm not sure how this has happened other than him once again just um, showing the bare level of competence required for the role. But, yes, once again, someone's been allowed to have a compilation article about people just getting on about him being a silver fox. Look, just don't ruin the term for me okay it's just (laughs) i just saw the 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 headline of this he makes it so much nicer brett sutton the silver fox like the silver fox lining oh god they've done a silver oh yeah silver fox and he's the silver lining of victoria's second wave lockdown lockdown's hard a lot of people are you know getting very sick and dying but at least brett sutton doesn't have like Terrible bone structure, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it all okay. I'm not going to do a sexy reading of any of this because I got into a lot of trouble last time just by my friends and loved ones <laughs> just going, why have you done this? Yeah, and rightly so, <laughs> might I add. Um, there was a picture going around of Brett Sutton with shoulder-length hair from the 80s, I think it was, oh, and people dear. just lost their fucking mind about it, which which is weird because everyone under the age of 28 is fucking gorgeous by Yeah, default. you were young and hot once. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's just, it's such a, it's... I wonder if part of it is a like a very understandable deflection from apocalypse 
Of mm. just like people are desperately searching for distraction. Yeah, ha ha ha! He's real hot. Uh, it's pretty. Fu- oh, I'm horny. Ha ha ha! It's like no, you're not. You are filled with existential dread, and you do not want to do anything or go anywhere. I, me too. Well, they know yeah, if they it. have to write real news, then it's pretty grim, <laughs> and you can't get a glib headline out of children are dying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just you try us, Lang. Wait till the rest of the episode. <laughs> Sorry, there's, nah, there's no time for that. Um, I think we just need to a GoFundMe to get uh, article columnists laid. <laughs> <laughs> we just need to set up an OnlyFans for Brett Sutton. <laughs> oh, God. Brett Dan Sutton Andrews and Brett fans. Sutton will be exclusively streaming the daily reports from OnlyFans. <laughs> oh, 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 I hate it so much. This, I just, I just opened this article from the doc. I, I hadn't read it because I was repelled, but now everyone's talking about it. I was like, I'm, I'm going to click through, and this, this little. There he is by Premier... I'm doing it, Evie. There he is by Premier (laughs) Daniel Andrews' side with his trademark undone top button. Updating the state on the latest coronavirus (laughs) figures. Grim, but hopefully improving. Do you get the feeling that he's like... He's saying really grim figures, but the journalists in the crowd are not hearing it. They're just hearing smoky saxophone music and watching his lips. It's just, it's so grim. It's such a grim thing to be like, what else is there in the world while we are hearing this? Oh, he's, he's fuckable. They go to check their what? notes after the press conference and it's just the words <laughs> Brett Sutton with little love hearts around it. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, I feel like there's, you know, there's various things to that we'll talk about this week. But one that really, um, just at, like at first glance, it's already quite dehumanising. Um, an age senior reporter, she usually writes um, the the economic section. Uh, Jessica Irvine um, wrote an article about her brainwave uh, to deal with uh, mutual obligations, which was walk for the doll. Fuck off. <laughs> so fuck off. But, walk for the doll. Yeah, like she. The weirdest part is that she even made like a um a, a p- appeal to libertarian arguments in terms of like um the value of um labor in terms of getting your like you know the actual doll back. It's like okay, first of all, that is a terrible argument to make in terms of like deserving the doll, and secondly, yeah, wh- the 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 thing that really upset me about this, and I talked about it a bit on Twitter as well, is that this. This lady, Jessica, has been writing, you know, economics articles for quite some time, but also about 10 years ago, she wrote a really weird one where she started talking about weight loss too. And she's been doing this for 10 years and just making like extremely strange sort of uh, links between economics and the science of losing kilos. And she's got like a whole bunch of books about it. Mm. It feels really irresponsible and strange. Mm. Yeah, so like for context, her idea for walk for the doll was how to like that we we need to do that to lose those ISO kilos. We're all we're all packing it on and get a little bit chunky in isolation. We got to get some exercise going. How can we do that? We should withhold welfare from people that don't walk around the fucking block for exercise. You <laughs> fucking idiot. That's really yeah. weird because it's Jesus like fuck. unemployed people aren't the only people who need to be healthy. And they're also not the only people stuck at home in isolation. Everyone with a job also working from home who doesn't need the doll is also not having exercise. Yeah. It's bad for so many reasons. Yeah. Like, and, you know, it just the, it just feels irresponsible, just the neuroses that are on display as well. Yeah. Like, and, and she's talked about, like, I don't want to go too much into it, but she's talked about, you know, having sort of disordered thoughts. But to put that in an article that's, 
ostensibly about something else. It's just mm. feels wrong. It's almost like the media in this country has no notion of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And it's really quite funny where it's like, well, we can't get people to apply for jobs for the doll because there are no jobs. And if you're at all responsible, you can admit that applying for jobs isn't going to get you a job. But we've got to get them to do something unpleasant that they don't want to do or we take uh-huh. their money away. Yeah, exactly. The the weird the weird moralizing from our fucking journalists in this country in that a a moral ascription can be placed on health outcomes during a pandemic tied to welfare that isn't about isolating yourself successfully from not engaging in risky behavior but but making sure you stay trim and svelte come summer's coming up and if we're allowed outside you'll want to look good fuck off yeah absolutely fuck off you were targeting this made me so fucking angry (laughs) you are targeting people who like are now either experiencing welfare for the first time so dealing with a lot of stress anxiety different things they need mental health care services also you're dealing with people who suddenly have more money than ever now that they're on the dole but those people beforehand had shitty health outcomes already because they couldn't afford to exercise properly they couldn't afford good food and for this fucking person to write this article across the national fucking newspaper to be like how about we give incentives for people to exercise by making sure they're poorer if they don't fuck off you have absolutely no idea what it's like to live on any form of fucking welfare if your answer to it is a jokey little like oh what if we encourage people to do one thing by just making them go fucking poor and not able to pay rent if they can't <laughs> it's, it's it's exactly buying into the stereotype of like well you know oh, i do have an idea of what it's like to be on the dole it's sitting on the couch a lot isn't it yeah <laughs> yeah absolutely that's their main problem yeah, yeah if you want people to get fit just say everyone on centrelink gets free gym if they want it great <laughs> <laughs> I like it. We should. Why aren't we doing that? Yeah. I mean, we absolutely should be. Nationalize the gyms. Nationalize. <laughs> In yet more fucking terrible <laughs> examples of our shit media being absolutely deplorable, morally hollow husks of people who should quit <laughs> and live out in the bush away from people forever. They should never utter another word to another soul again. I hope the media is listening to this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I know two people who will be, um, and they're good people. Um, <laughs> and they should quit. <laughs> I mean, but they should. They work for the fucking ABC, and the ABC did this. What we're talking about is the two uh, women, young women from Queensland, who travelled around the country, got coronavirus, didn't follow any of the isolation rules, mm. didn't uh, declare anything. They went back to Queensland. They spread it around for about a week before they were found and isolated and tested and all the rest of it. And our fucking media in this country put their faces on the front page with one newspaper having their two heads either side of a fucking headline that said enemies of the state. Right? That's wild. That is fucking incredible. How quickly do you reckon they moved that story to the front page as soon as they found out they weren't white? Like Like teenagers, move it up there. It's just mad. So, like, I, I... Tudor in like human rights. That was one of the things that I did for a long time. And like this type of thing by the media Mm. has been recognized by the UN as leading to genocides. Mm. Now I'm not saying that Australia is heading to a genocide, but I, I am saying that the media is like 
as a as an institution and individual people within the media can definitely be found guilty of crimes against humanity for posting things like that was by saying people are the enemies of the state because mm. it doesn't take many fucking steps from that to start calling them vermin and then from there to start leading fucking pogroms against them look it's incitement i've i've talked about it in, um on the pod before like i remember post september 11 that whenever there was a headline involving you know um southeast asian people or anyone who's indian or who's Sikh or Hindu or anything like that involved in some sort of incident. Um, I just would always get like a sinking feeling in mm. my chest because I was just like, oh, mm. shit, here we go again. Mm. And, and it's exactly the same thing happening now, except now it's like everything that's led on from like the whole African Games thing that happened a couple of years ago in Melbourne. Yeah. Um, and it's just the same talking points, the same incitement. And you just get that same sinking feeling going, oh, fuck, here we go. It's, it's the commission flats as well. That yeah. was definitely had a strong racial element. Oh, Absolutely. for sure. With the girls who got doxxed by basically the entire Australian media, um, there were a lot of parallels drawn to other times where specific people who'd been travelling around the country or flouting restrictions had, you know, it turned out to have COVID and infected somebody else mm. in the place that they travelled to. This has happened a bunch of times in Australia, and this is the first time that the media's doxxed them. Uh, Katan Joshi uh, w- went on a, a big tear on Twitter, basically just collating a a bunch of different times that other people had been, you know, caught doing exactly what these girls have done and had their names redacted in the media and their faces blurred out and that sort of thing. Because if you get a report on this sort of thing happening, that's fine, but do it responsibly and don't be like, hey, everybody in Australia, this one's the one you got to get. You got to get them. Just be like, you know, hey guys, let's play by the rules. These people, they didn't bloody play by the rules, these bloody dropkicks. Let's not name names, but you know, yeah. don't do it. That's fine. And that's what they've usually been doing. But as soon as they're black, they're just like, you too. You got names, you got faces, and everyone knows them. It's fucked. You'd think these two people brought coronavirus to Australia, um, as opposed to it being rich white people from Aspen. Yes, the Aspen party is the biggest one. And like so many of them threatened legal action if, they're, if the media decided to name them. Uh, mm. I don't think these girls necessarily got the same... Um, you know legal advice legal advice or afforded the same sort of grace from the media no but what they did get was their home addresses and photos of their houses posted on facebook groups yeah that's how fucking bad it gets and like we know that there are some people out there that are fucking deranged already we know that there are some people out there who are violent because of right-wing talking points infecting their minds It is so grossly irresponsible. And I want to send a special specific shout out to the ABC News Department. Fuck each and every one of you people in there that are still in there that don't quit after this because the ABC was a part of this. They put their faces in the article as well. They named them as well. And that's absolutely fucking Mm. disgusting for anyone at the ABC to stay there and yet still try to argue that they're somehow better and different than the Murdoch press and the Courier Mail and all the rest of it. Like... It's not to say that what the, the Murdoch press does is somehow better because we expect it, but absolutely no one who stays at the ABC news department now has a leg to stand on when they say that they are somehow offering some sort of alternative to the Murdoch press morally. Totally. Fuck you. Yeah. It, it, it's been also like... A, I don't know the, if the I'm one on thing board I with like, that. The one thing I really enjoy about Twitter like at times like this is that it gives you an opportunity to really dunk on these sub-editors who are responsible for these decisions. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's, and that's so a many silver of, lining. Yeah, so many of the editors involved who are yeah. like, oh, but we were just reporting the news as we received it. Shut up. You can still yeah. make the decision not to name them or to pixelate their faces or just to not report on who they were specifically. <laughs> like, th- there were a, se- a set of decisions made and you made them. 
Yeah, there's no news as you receive it. All news can be told in a number of different ways. I I, I can't wait until we get one sub-editor who makes the call to not send a sort of, like, raving pack of lunatics after a specific, you know, teenager for for violating some restriction, and I'll be like, I'll I'll notice that sub-editor being Mm -hmm. like, wow, they they met the standards of the most basic journalistic responsibility. They are so hot. Oh my god, they're so (laughs) so so horny for that journalistic practice. Oh my god. (laughs) So Labor's Shadow Resources Minister Joel Fitzgibbon, who is sort of in charge of the Labor's policy on coal and environment sort of stuff. Uh, rejected an invitation to speak at a Labor Environment Action Network event uh, because he just hates the idea that people like the environment in the Labor Party. Uh, and uh, following that rejection of that uh, event, he gave a exclusive mm. interview with Sky News explaining why. And, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just this this Which clip really is goes to show he likes Sky News. You, it's just the <laughs> ultimate nail in the coffin for anyone who thinks that Labor represents any kind of meaningful opposition in terms of climate. Like both parties of government in Australia are pro fossil fuels, anti climate action, and we're, we're, yeah. we're going to respond to the clip because it's crazy. Joel Fitzgibbon, thanks for joining us. You've declined to attend this environment event, Labor Environment Action Network in the Hunter. What's that about? I think, Andrew, all of these discussions are important. We need to be constantly revisiting, reviewing and building upon the party's policies. But it's not much point going to these events when you know that the fundamentalists running them have already made up their minds. Yeah, these fundamentalists (laughs) who don't want to die in a climate crisis have already made up their minds. It sounds like you've also already made up your mind, Joel. Fundamentalists. So... (laughs) But this group was set up by your fellow frontbencher who's in the right faction, Christina Keneally, and the Senator Jenny McAllister. So are you, are you saying they're fundamentalists as well? Well, if that is true, um, that they set up lean, um, that's the first I knew about it when I read about it in the newspaper this morning. But it must have been a long time ago. Look, uh, last night uh, and pause tonight... It for a that's... That's so fucking amazing that he's just like, these fundamentalists have set up this organization and they are just, just the worst. And Sky News, the thumbtack host on Sky News has to be like, actually, it was set up by the Labor Party, um, your colleagues of yours that you say you respect about 15 years ago. And this fucking dolt is like, oh, well, look, if if that's true, if I only found true. out about that. This morning. Yeah. It's like, how little <laughs> research did you... I am not shocked that someone who supports fossil fuel and denies climate change has done no research, but how do you fundamentally fuck up? It's like, Sky News gets in touch. Hey, we want to run a hit piece on the party that you're in because we're going to offer you a job once you resign from the ministerial cabinet. That's what's going to happen. Um, do you want to fuck with Lean? And, he, and, and Joel Fitzgibbon went... Yes, here's a yep. point of me that I can like work my way into the fossil fuel industry. And instead of lo- looking up, instead of just like going to the about page of Lean, mm-hmm. he just like fucked around on Reddit all morning. And then like like <laughs> me for the podcast just jumped on and went like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I got it. And well, like- also he's, when they set it up, oh, it must have been different. It must have not been pro environment <laughs> yeah. action, even though it's in the name. <laughs> oh god, he's such a fucking just a like. Keep oh. it uh, there will be people in green T-shirts, oh. uh, Andrew, uh, attending Labor Party 
branch members uh, <laughs> preaching uh, their gospel to all those prepared to listen. Now, those green T-shirts, of course, are the colour of represent the colour of choice <laughs> of one of our main political opponents, uh, the Australian Greens. Yeah, gotta gotta pull him up there, fucking. Mm. Your main political opponents are the Liberal Party, Joel. <laughs> oh my God, that's yeah, wow. He's just—he's just saying the quiet part out loud. There, he, he sees his main political opponents as the Greens. I will also point out that Lean <laughs> adopted the green T-shirts as their own thing to try and muscle into green territory. That's why mm. Lean wears green T-shirts. <laughs> is because they wanted to be like Labor's environmental and then all it's done is it made Joel Fitzgibbon and their own fucking resources minister going, green T-shirts? We're not environmental. What are you talking about? <laughs> he walks out his front door and he sees a tree and he goes, it's green, cut it down, cut it down. <laughs> ah, McLean, I can see you've done 30 minutes of Googling this morning. <laughs> yeah, this, this freaking also, just his 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 wording, like one, he gives away that he sees the Greens as his main political opponents and not the fucking Liberal Party. But also, this is they're fundamentalists. They're preaching their mm. gospel to all those prepared to listen. He fundamentally doesn't believe that climate change is real. He sees people who believe in climate change in the same bucket as just you know religious people, rather than people who don't want to yeah, die. Fanatics. He sees them as fanatics. Yeah. Um. And, but also, let's be honest, uh, even though the Liberal Party might be Labor's opposition, uh, they're not Joel Fitzgibbon's opposition because he is so heavily coal and fossil fuels that they agree with everything he says. He's only ever fighting the Greens and any sensible people in the Labor Party. Let's get more of that tasty clip. Uh, and it's, it's the wrong image for the party, but it's the wrong way to also to approach policy development running around the branches, infiltrating the branches, I might say. In fact, oh. I suspect some of these people have actually infiltrated the party. Pause it there. That one. Infiltrated the party. But these people. These environmentalists have infiltrated the branches. They're infiltrating the party. Whenever there's an election and people are trying to campaign for the Greens, Labor's line is you will never get environmental action from the Greens because they're not a party of government. What you need to do is sign on with Labor and Mm. change Labor from the inside to be more environmental. Mm -hmm. And then fucking people do that. And then Joel Fitzgibbon is like, these greenies are infiltrating the party. It's your fucking strategy, you little shit. If they're your main fucking opponent, maybe you should pay attention to the fucking strategies that your party's putting together to fight them. <laughs> Just the idea that, like, these people have decided to sign up to the Labor Party and they believe in uh, the truth of the science of climate change and the fact Australia needs to change course in the fossil fuel industry. Now, that is entirely at odds with the Labor position, so they must have infiltrated our party secretly. (laughs) (laughs) I love the disdain when he says these people. Like, you can hear his upper lip just curling as he talks. Yeah, (laughs) the idea that he sees these, like, these green-shirted Mujahideen infiltrating the ALB, like... They're trying to destroy our way of life. What the fuck are you He's talking bring in about? Some brown shirts, the color of good old fashioned coal. <laughs> God damn it! I was going to point out. I was going to bring up the whole fact that um, the last time we actually heard about a, um, a political party trying to infiltrate another one was when the neo Nazis tried to infiltrate the National Party with branch stacking, the Young Nationals. Oh, yeah. And I do think it's interesting that there was, you know. The National Party got infiltrated by neo-Nazis and the best that Labor can do is confect a fucking 
like environmentalist infiltration <laughs> and then goes on Sky News and talks about it like it's the same thing. <laughs> Fucking uh. Bringing in brown shirts to counter the green shirts. <laughs> I, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I really don't think it's possible to harp on this enough that Joel Fitzgibbon is a shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, 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 he's, a, he's a climate denialist. He's, a, he's, just, yep. like, he's just a climate denialist, straight up and down. And when I talk about the Labour Party and how I hate the Labour Party and how the Labour Party's poison and how the Labour Party is like a sin and they're like bound for hell and all that sort of stuff, the, <laughs> this is the sort of thing that I'm talking about where like I don't, I will never vote for the Labour Party, not because I'm ideologically opposed to anything like that. It's because Joel Fitzgibbon is a death threat. Like Joel Fitzgibbon, while he's the resources minister for the Labour Party, it, it represents a gun in the small of your back. Like it's- yeah. It's a party that wants you dead. And people say, you know, oh, yeah, but Joel Fitzgibbon, he represents, like, the right-wing crazies. Most of the Labour Party is okay. He's an outlier. But the fact that they've chosen him specifically to represent their resources um, strategy shows that this is what they want. They yeah, knew he's shadow he resources minister. Yeah, they said, you're in charge of resources, you climate-denying coal muncher. Um, <laughs> go for it. And then the rest of Labour goes, oh, we really like the lead leaders possums and we really like jobs and uh, we want to take care of everybody. And Joel Fitzgibbon's there, like, eating a child, <laughs> feeding yeah. it into a coal <laughs> furnace. Sorry, yeah, he's bad. But, yeah, the, the idea that he's somehow an outlier when he is the spokesperson for that bit is deranged. It is wild. Uh, he, he finishes the interview with a threat against Albanese, saying that if the <laughs> Labor starts to go climate action, he has the numbers to roll him. Um, Fitzgibbon complains of a religious zeal, which some in the party see the issue of climate change, but he believes that he has Anthony Albanese's support for his course of action on climate and coal. Fitzgibbon and several people in the right around him are important in terms of Albanese's staying leader. I really don't understand why we have that second party. Like, why is Fitzgibbon in the Labor Party? Because the Labour Party's funding comes from fossil fuels and they're the reason that the Labour Party is solvent. They are reliant on the fossil fuel industry just as much as yeah. the Liberal Party is because it's all the one fucking group. Yeah, but but that's my point. Like, when someone like Joel Fitzgibbon is choosing which party to be in, does he just flip a coin? I mean, it's probably because he didn't uh, have the right friends at the right university. Uh, that's probably it. He was in a different uni group. Why not put on a conspiracy th- hat and, and say that he was appointed to the Labour Party by <laughs> Murdoch slash BP because they need somebody on both sides to hold back climate action? Yeah, I'll go with that. Uh, uh, the other thing is, uh, the Victorian Labour is ostensibly controlled by the left party, uh, by the left faction of the party, uh, but even they are absolutely dogshit trash on environment because they're still the Labour Party and the Labour Party's fundamentally dogshit <laughs> trash on environment. So the Andrews government has again uh, delayed the decision on their emissions reduction targets, so they were meant to have that done by the end of March. Uh, but they just continue to miss this deadline because they fundamentally don't care. They're using the pandemic as an excuse because they're like, oh, you know, there's a pandemic on, so we can't worry about the environment uh, because we all know that the environment will wait for the pandemic is over to Mm -hmm. to do anything. Um, It's it's a bit, you know, like the fact that shit's fucked at the moment is the reason that you have to do it. It's not the excuse to not do it. It's like saying, you know, oh, I need to get some groceries and have a shower, but the reason that I haven't done it is because I'm really depressed at the moment. It's like, 
yeah, that's the reason that you haven't done it, but it doesn't mean you don't have to do it. You, mm. you need to take care of yourself at a fundamental level, otherwise you die. And if it's a government that's doing that, we're all going to fucking die. No doomerism yeah. on this podcast, but as long as Victorian labour exists, we're dead. <laughs> that's, that's how far <laughs> I'm going. They're killing us. It's important to point out that when we're talking about Victorian emissions targets, last time I checked, Victoria has some of the dirtiest electricity in the world. Uh, not in Australia, not in developed countries, in the world. Um, only surpassed by a couple of small parts of India and, like, Estonia, which runs on oil power or something. Oh, we can't do anything about that at the moment, though, Lang. There's a pandemic on. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there's this... It's hard to even know where to start on the coronavirus being just another aspect of the class war because... Obviously, a lot of people are out of work, a lot of people are unemployed, a lot of people have been thrown into even more precarious situations than they already were, Um, especially if they were already precarious. And so a lot of people have, like, taken money out of their super uh, because the government has said, okay, we'll allow you to take money out of your super in order to to survive this period where you don't have work, but your landlord's threatening to throw you out kind of thing. Um, Turns out now that if you take money out of your super to put it in your savings account to live, you might be precluded from job seeker payments because suddenly you've got too much money, which That's is insane. fucked. It's your God own money. Almighty. Yeah. The fact that the government is even allowing and encouraging people to take money out of their super, they're basically saying, hey, uh, your choice is to either starve now or starve when you're 60. And people are going, well... I mean, I have to eat now or I won't make it to 60. And the government's going, well, fuck you. For international listeners, super is basically Mm. like, if you're American, like a 401k, I think. It's like what the government, the program the government has set up instead of a pension, basically. It's like, why would we pay you when you today can pay yourself in the future? Yeah, you have to put away a little bit of your earnings into this account that you're well, not allowed to touch until you're retired. And most employers do it automatically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I was going to say. It's is obligatory. That in this, yeah, it comes out before you get your paycheck from your boss. They, the, Your employer has to put money away mm-hmm. to make sure you've got enough in the future. And this is just the idea that they encourage people to take super if they have no money and then that that might put them over the top of the... the They, they, they check your bank balance to see if you can claim job seeker payments mm. during a fucking pandemic. There's going to be another... Um, this is almost certainly going to be another facet of another robo-debt type scandal because mm. it came out this week too um, that the ATO has said, actually, when the government said that there was like strict restrictions on who can actually take out this money, they weren't really telling the truth. Uh, mm. It turns out that like pretty much um, the high level of um, people withdrawing from their super in the billions, something like 13 billion or something like that, wow. um, uh, it was correlated with the fact in that there really wasn't any restrictions. There's probably a lot of people who are like, you know what, I can pay off a couple of mortgage payments can knock that mm. all off. Um, banks have said, look, like, you know, this is the furthest ahead um, Australia has been in terms of their mortgage payments in a long time, and that would mm. correlate again with people taking out money from their super. But, yeah, so the ATO is like, actually, now that we know that, you know, a lot of people have probably taken this out um, without any barriers to entry, we're going to um, audit everyone up after the fact. And you just know that there's going to be overreach in that respect too. But, 
it, oh, it's even sure. worse somehow because this is their own money. So they're going to be yep. penalised for taking action in that respect too. And this is all to avoid the government just having a relatively simple, hey, here's welfare for everyone during the pandemic. They've got these exactly. five schemes plus super plus they're trying to screw you around the edges wherever they can. Yeah, it's them just being like, well, we could, you know, take a small hit to the budget now by just like paying people or we could queue up a massive crisis in the sort of like retirement sector when, you know, like 30 years from now when you know the the, the sort of the people who are withdrawing from their super uh, finish working their super's completely destroyed because they raided it during the pandemic mm-hmm. now that whole sort of sector of the population's fucked but we won't be in government then so whatever could i like the thing that i keep coming back to is like thinking about like family members in this sort of position just fucking imagine that mm. you do not have a job during the pandemic and you go to apply for job seeker to go, hey, can I get a regular income mm. coming in? All I've got is $5,000 sitting in my bank and that's it. Mm. Rent is however many hundreds or maybe thousands a month. And they go, no, you don't qualify yet. So you see your super fund mm. that you drew out that's sitting in your savings account. You have to watch that fucking evaporate now and in the future before the government will even give you a fucking scrap to live on now. Yeah. That is absolutely demonizing and demoralizing and disgusting. From our fucking government to do that. It is just it I do not know how people in the services in the in the government and the federal parliament, like how they manage to sleep unless they just either don't think about it or they fucking hate poor people, which is my central thesis. What if uh you gave people job seeker but you made sure they ran like a couple of kilometers every day? <laughs> Fuck you, like <laughs> just that's that's just so that's so mean and evil and and really quite depressing to think about people sitting there watching their fucking life savings yep. have to be whittled down be- below an, an arbitrary number. And knowing if you took that to Centrelink, they would know that you're eventually not going to have fucking money. And they're going to have to pay you anyway. It's also the short-sightedness of going, oh, you can get it out of your suit because this will be a one-off thing. What happens with the next bushfire or the next pandemic or the next time that there's a crisis, you can't take out of your super again or you're not going to have any super left. Um, but I guess, yeah. That's not the kind of forward thinking that we do. I guess that's the same as the bloody work, walk for the doll situation where, you know, if they implemented that policy, all they'd be guaranteeing is that when the revolution comes, the rebels would have insanely <laughs> good cardio. <laughs> so in other, a very much more specific uh, class wars a piece of news uh, JBS Meat Processing the site of an outbreak in Victoria has been accused of forcing workers to take annual leave instead of using sick leave mm. turns out um, the there were reporting there's a reporting in the ABC um, those bastards um, that so, so they found a worker who was like yeah they I've been losing my annual leave instead of my sick leave and the ABC went JBS meat processing, what the fuck are you doing? And they went, oh, oh, no, no, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Look, we will reverse it for that one person. And this isn't an issue like they always do. Mm. Every time reporting comes out on something like this, their first thing is just to capitulate and be like, oh, what? Oh, yeah. Oop-a-daisy. Oh, we can just easily reverse it. It's like, oh, so it, it, it's not a systemic issue. It's not something that you couldn't help but do. You just fucked up and didn't look into it or did it deliberately oh cool oh no no it's extremely systemic is it yeah <laughs> well i just mean as a, as a systemic mistake like you know we can't get around it or oh, it's going to be much much more work than we thought no they just 
They just could do it, and they didn't. So this is actually quite similar to what was happening with the spotless uh, situation. So there's a spotless laundry out in Dandenong, you might have heard about, um, where they had some positive cases reported. Um, And this is a a whole shit show. So there was one or two positive cases. Um, They said, all right, we'll we'll do some cleaning. We'll shuffle your shifts around. You still got to come into work. The employers went, fuck no, we're not coming into work. I don't know what the working situation is like at an industrial laundry site, uh, but presumably the kind of place you don't want to be working where there's positive cases. Um, The workers went on strike. The company tried to force them to go to work and took them to the Fair Work Commission. um, To And I don't know what happens there. Maybe they can fire them or cut their pay or something or force them somehow to come into work. And then there was a third case, and then the laundry got shut down by the by the Department of Health. Um, and if it wasn't for staff going on strike when they did, um, there would have been so many more cases. So this is another case of a big company trying to force its workers to work in a hotspot, effectively trying to take them to the authorities to force them to work, even though the workers are going on strike. And thank God these workers stood up yeah thank God the and, and these are like these are quite insecure like mostly migrant sort of casual part-time workers um but they also made workers use up their annual leave or personal leave or take unpaid time off unless they got a positive test and the whole point of taking time off is you're meant to do it before you get the coronavirus yeah. but i mean look somewhat good news solidarity with all the workers that are actually going on strike it is fucking it is fucking great. You JDS. are the true heroes. Yeah. Um, there's another one as well that we will uh, get to in the um, shout outs yet again, but um, also the uh, workers at the Wyong Woolworths Distribution Center mm. went on 24 hour strike. There's a GoFundMe. We'll talk about it a bit later on, but like there are places all around the country where workers are just sort of going like, hey, this is totally fucked. I'm not going to do it. Mm. And yet again, in, in, in moments of crisis, enough workers go, hey, is this fucked? And the other worker goes, yeah, no, this is totally fucked. And I mean, that's all class consciousness is, is just talking with your workmates about like, this is fucked, isn't it? Yes, this is fucked. Oh, cool. We're not doing it. And if given the choice, these big companies and these bosses will have their workers working in a deadly zone um, because they don't give a shit. It's also not just lack of concern for the safety of the workers, but if you're you're making your workers go to work in a hotspot during a pandemic, your workers have families. You are spreading the pandemic everywhere if you make your workers come in during a pandemic. Like, it, it's not just, I don't care about my workers. It's, I don't care about anyone. But this is yeah. the case for any uh, any workplace, though, that has, like, um, like you know, that breaches occupational health and safety. Like, it's, like, from the very start, um, they haven't been giving masks to any essential workers in, like, these kind of industries. And that's, yeah, it's just the larger disdain that they have for them as people, that they don't think mm. about everything else that they touch. Mm. And so it really pisses me off when the reporting entirely focuses on individuals doing the wrong thing. They say, yes. oh, look at these people going around or oh, a quarter of people weren't at home when we checked on them because they were meant to be isolating See, and stuff. I realise that's why I have a lot of generosity for the, that sort of thing because yeah. it, it's, it's, it's always going to be a societal and a structural issue in that respect. Um, you know, there, and... One of the things that really upsets me is that, like, one of like the government ads that's on at the moment is mm-hmm. it's entirely on the COVID safe app, and it's like now uh. that it's safe to get back out there, it's like no, it's not, uh. <laughs> and yeah. that just leads to like you know this kind of attitude where we focus on individual people breaking the rules 
and yet people are still being shoved into these unsafe situations. And it's individual people who are trying to do the right thing here. It's the workers yeah. at Spotlight who are who are bearing all of the brunt and taking all the responsibility for doing the right thing. I want to see some bosses of Spotlight on the front page. Yes, in Sp- I keep state. saying Spotlight. Sorry, Spotless. Spotless. Spotlight might be okay. Spotlight, I, I no above opinions. reproach. Yeah, yeah. They are fantastic Good during fabrics. this pandemic. We need them for our masks. Yeah. Oh. Can't. Shout out to if Spotlight. They wanna, if they want to sponsor the show, actions this week, go buy a <laughs> bolt of fabric. <laughs> Speaking of enemies of the state, the Secretary of the Department oh. of Social Services, Catherine oh. Campbell. Oh, so bad. <laughs> um, there was Senate inquiries into ro- the robo-debt fiasco, whatever robo-debt is, and the Secretary of the Department of Social Services, Catherine Campbell, has apologised for any hurt or harm caused by the robo-debt um, program. For anyone who doesn't know what robo-debt is, we have talked about it quite a lot in past episodes, and we can probably put a, a link to those episodes, but basically... The social services Centrelink um, tried to scam a whole lot of people out of money by saying that they owed them like thousands of dollars uh, because they'd been overpaid when they hadn't. And a lot of people had to pay up all this money and lost a lot of income, committed suicide. It was really bad. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the people in charge of that, again, Catherine Campbell, has just said she has no idea what that term means. She doesn't really, she's never really heard of RoboDebt. She doesn't know how to apply it. What's RoboDebt? There's no, um, that wasn't used in official nomenclature. So, you know, who knows what it might mean? This is despite the fact that Asha Wolf uh, brought the receipts hard on Twitter and showed numerous times over the last three to four years where Catherine Campbell specifically has addressed questions about RoboDebt, has acknowledged RoboDebt's existence, has called it RoboDebt. Robodet, and she fucking knows exactly what it is. She's the secretary of the Department of Social Services. She There's knows. a class action lawsuit. It's, like, we, it's, the, it's the same thing. Like we, like it's. I feel like we just harp on it every single episode. But it's the same thing that happens every time when someone just says something that's blatantly untrue or blatantly just a lie. Um, when they're when you're in a system where you've systematically gotten away with things so often, and people just forget about it in the next news cycle. Or they go, oh, man, that's really fucked. Oh, okay, I guess it's just another pile on top of the, you know, shit pile of things that people have done, like, you know, corrupt things that politicians have done. This is yet yeah, another yeah. thing on the pile. She knows that no one's going to call her out on it. So she can say, oh, actually, I don't know what Robodet means. It was it was pretty good. I, for some reason, was watching it live because I'm a big nerd. And it <laughs> was pretty good nerd. that all, all the senators involved um, when she said that were just, they were outraged. <laughs> and the person chairing the committee was trying to be like, come on now, it's really hard to run this over Zoom. Come on. Hey, shut up. But so many of the senators were like, are you joking? So, Senator, I think what you mean by Robodet is compliance. Per se, is that what you mean? No, by I think debt? everybody pretty well understands what robo debt is. The only term that we've used today that no one understands or is, is questioning is uh, what legal insufficiency. Yeah, robo well, debt's robo debt. We know what that is. I Can you answer the question? It's actually not a I term of art. It's I not something that's used by the department. So maybe we could have a definition. So I, I'm sorry, Chair. I don't know what robo debt means. Um, oh, that is an extraordinary admission so at this point. Because in the context of the question, can I just finish? No, 
Yeah. Are you? No, come on. And they, they were properly outraged. And then the chair at some point was like, look, it's the end of the day. Tensions are running high. Please just stop. Um, but some, is- like that was the, the thing that got me was her denial of knowing what the term means in a really like it was both brazen and childish to say, well, the government's never officially called it that. But so I don't know what it means. Um, but some of the other notable things were her saying that there's absolutely no way of knowing if anyone suffered any adverse effects from getting their robo debt letter. Mm-hmm. This is despite the fact that it's fairly, fairly common knowledge. Well, it's not fairly common knowledge. It's fairly well established. There's a lot of documented um, cases. Yeah, of people committing suicide after getting their robo-debt letter in the mail. That's pretty good. And also the the other thing that got me was that she used the term insufficiently legal Mm. to describe how illegal (laughs) robo-debt was and how they knew it. I actually give credit to that. That is such a great invented term. Oh, fantastic. They knew it was insufficiently legal years ago and yet continued to implement it. I'm not going to say they. She, Catherine Campbell, knew. But just insufficiently legal like there's a threshold to legality like <laughs> and this is this is why i think mclean said um that the taking money out of your super and that whole situation is going to be another robo debt type scandal because just like robo debt when they were thinking of implementing it every expert and everybody that is in charge of like consulting and reviewing these decisions said this is a terrible idea and it's wildly unethical slash probably illegal you definitely shouldn't do it and the government fuck it reckon we will anyway though yeah and then they did do it and there was like reports and people inside the government going hey this is illegal mm. and they went oh yeah but we've we've done it now we're and we're gonna keep it's never doing stopped it. us in the past yeah <sighs> right <laughs> and then yeah and then so Catherine campbell has the gall to sit there and just be like i am shocked and outraged that you think anything bad could happen to someone who's told that they owe us seven thousand dollars ha! i'm i'm shocked and appalled that you think i've ever heard of the term robo debt the thing that my department initiated and then has been dragged to court for <laughs> the biggest you. scandal in our social services for years Jeez, this is what I mean. Just so many people to fucking hate this week. Fucking uh, hate. It's just, if there's one thing that the just stooges in this fucking oligarchy hate more than missing out on money, it's being told what to do in, <laughs> in any context. Like, I, I, I don't yeah. know how these people are still alive because you can see them just going to the doctor and the doctor's being like, take four of these pills a day. And they're like, you tell me to what? No, <laughs> I'll do what I want. You are insufficiently qualified to tell me what to do, sir. Yeah. Also, um, just as a quick note, Asher Wolf pointed out that Catherine Campbell was appointed by Julia Gillard's government way back in the day and was one of the people that oversaw the cuts that threw single mothers off of parenting payments. On the same day um, as the misogyny speech. Bad yeah, I was, was going to say, if you, liberals, it, they're the if, same. <laughs> <laughs> In lighter news, uh, there are massive coronavirus outbreaks in aged care facilities. Fuck, um, man. And, <laughs> fuck up, man. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> should I stop doing that? <laughs> nah. I shouldn't. I shouldn't make fun of it. I shouldn't make no, fun of no, it. No, we telegraphed that at the start of the episode. We said we were going to do some just brutal intros to grim <laughs> topics, and okay. uh, we're paying it. Um, yeah, in lighter news, there have been huge coronavirus outbreaks in aged care facilities. <laughs> Um, and Scott Morrison has decided to blame that on the Victorian government or other people, or it's not actually a problem and they're fine. Um, and basically everything other than, oh, maybe this is a problem. 
Yeah. Um, but- despite people warning for extended periods of time that this was going to happen. This is obviously going to happen. Our aged care facilities are being run appallingly. You don't even um, need verbal warnings. Like, even just looking at Italy with, like, mm. every single old person carking it because of COVID and mm. thinking – and then looking at our aged care going, hmm, this might be bad if it gets in here. Like, Scott Morrison said, I oh, know, it's it's – it's fine if anything they've got too many rules. You need to let people in <laughs> to see your old parents on Mother's Day. And his he own took government. his mum out of aged care. He took his yeah. mum out of aged care. It drives me crazy that no one ever points that out. At the start of the pandemic, Scott Morrison took his mum out of aged care. It was really obvious he knew that she was at risk. He said in April that aged care facilities need to tone down their strict rules or the Commonwealth would get involved. This is despite his own government having a royal commission into the aged care facilities being run poorly before coronavirus. I think something to contextualise this as well, whenever you will hear about the federal government trying to blame specifically the Dan Andrews Labor government in Victoria over these uh, aged care facilities, is that aged care facilities are, by and large, a federal issue. Mm. Yeah, that's a federal responsibility. Exactly. So, like, the idea that they can suddenly sort of turn around and go like, oh, well, Dan Andrews is bloody doing something bad now, that they can't pin it on anything. Mm. He can't say fucking anything. And in... A super specific example, again, of someone to hate this week, um, Greg Hunt, the healthcare minister. Yeah, he's the national health minister. So Greg Hunt was uh, rolling out the crocodile tears because Dan Andrews just went in on the aged care facilities, went in on how they're being run and operated by the federal government and said, look, I wouldn't put one of my um, parents in there at the moment. It's it's really bad how it's been operating. And, uh, And Greg Hunt, decided the 7am podcast did a really good sort of episode on this decided to roll out the memory of his father and cry about him in an order to bolster the aged care facilities which like you just said are currently under a royal commission investigation into how poorly they're being run and they are hotspots of COVID at the moment. Um, Greg Hunt said, uh, my father lived in one and we knew that that meant he was in the later stages of his life. I cannot imagine better care that my family my family could have got. And I speak, I think, for hundreds of thousands of families around the country. The idea that our carers, that our nurses are not providing that care, I think, is a dangerous statement to make. They are wonderful human beings and I won't hear a word against them. Now... Some of the biggest and loudest movements against how the federal government has been handling COVID and the subsequent lockdowns has been the nurses and carers at aged care facilities. And the Royal Commission. I, I, I want to say that we have the, a fucking royal commission into it. Th- his government had a royal commission into it, and his gov his like that royal commission came back saying that the aged care sector is underfunded by about thirteen billion dollars at the low end and twenty six billion dollars at the high end. The current funding is twenty seven billion dollars. So the government, the current government, is funding aged care short by about half. They need to basically double it, right, mm. to be adequate. That's what their royal commission said. They have not done that and then someone's like man aged care's fucked and they're like how dare you (laughs) just the thing for me though is that my father is older and he also works at a hospital that is his thing and i just find it really fucking galling for greg hunt to trot out the memory of his dad to be like the aged care facilities are great because my dad was in one and if you attack the aged care facilities you attack my father and if anything happens to my dad as an aged care as an aged age carer he's old and he cares for people like 
I will absolutely politicize his fucking death and I will not be trying to go like, it's personally hurtful that you did that to him. It's like, no, you fucking failed. You are the minister in charge of this. <laughs> yeah, that's Piece the of thing, shit. bro. We're not attacking aged care workers. We're attacking you. Like he's he's like a he's someone who's like oh don't politicize this but he's politicized his own dad to use him as a cudgel for saying don't criticize it but it makes <laughs> Greg no Hunt's sense. getting up on Sky News being like how dare you politicize this my dad wouldn't have wanted his death to be politicized. <laughs> <laughs> what really makes me angry here is that Greg Hunt is the health minister and he's basically saying I will not hear a word against our health system. You, don't you come to me, the person in charge of our health system, with any kind of feedback <laughs> or criticism about it. Um, and that, to me, is... Like, what is that fascism? I think when you can't tell the government that you have suggestions how they could do it better. If you're even in a different part of that government and you say, <laughs> hey, can we run this better? If you get personally offended at that, you shouldn't be running that government. It reminds me of when Tony Abbott was health minister and there was the whole debacle about RU486 and just like he, he would not take any sort of um, you know commentary on it because he treated it as a personal attack to his own beliefs. It's like, dude, you're the health minister. It doesn't matter what your personal beliefs are. Mm. Yeah, the, I, think it's, I think it's fascism when the government instantiates policies that make it a crime to talk about government policy yep. in any critical way. I think it's a, a being a big spineless wuss if you just get offended <laughs> by it and cry about it on the news. I think that's the difference. But if you're the health minister and you say, I won't hear a bad word about it, I think you're effectively saying that is your position. Oh, God, yeah. His position is, yeah, his position, his position is as a big spineless wuss, big wuzzy boy. Well, I mean, I, I guess that, you know, one thing that you can say in favour of Greg Hunt, like I'll credit him this, hmm. is he, he really is happy to back that up, the idea that he won't hear a, a bad word said about them, because he has ignored <laughs> the findings of his own royal commission. Hey, so... <laughs> You know, put your money where your mouth is, mate. Good job. I think the government just has a shredder labelled Royal Commission findings. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the report gets printed and just goes straight into the shredder <laughs> off, off of the conveyor belt. <laughs> oh, man, there's some Royal Commission, like, printer in the government that hasn't been switched on and it's just got, like, this incredible backlog. Like, one day somebody's going to flip just like some, oh, this, this looks like it should be on. They'll click it and this printer's just going to print out, like, 4,000 pages of Royal Commission. They're, oh, shit, shit's really bad. We didn't realise. Oh, no. <laughs> Bastards. Let's finish on that belter. <laughs> Mitch, cut it before then. That, 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 that joke didn't I land very well. I'll leave a note. Leave in switch gag makes me clean look Everybody, let's on, on three, let's do a big laugh so that Mitch has something to cut that joke uh, into. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna leave I'm gonna leave in McLean doing all that. All right. <laughs> Actions this week. We mentioned it earlier in the pod, but the uh Wyong Woolworths Distribution Center workers have gone on strike. Solidarity they are demanding with equal the pay Woolworths um, with staff. At the what? Solidarity. Oh yeah, sorry. I just you. The, we record remotely, and that cut out. So all I heard was McLean going Darity, Darity, Darity with the Wyong Woolworth Distribution <laughs> Center workers. But here's the here's the cool thing. You can just go to a GoFundMe page and give them some money. Uh, this is a one for one, dollar for dollar, directly supporting workers against a large corporation. And I cannot stress this enough. If you can only give a dollar. $2, $5, $3,000. It doesn't actually matter how much it is. 
not only is giving just a single dollar really fucking cool because a dollar buys a loaf of bread um, from their own distribution center that they can like help feed everyone at the strike and at the picket. If it goes on for too long, they get that sort of support. But also just having that many names at the GoFundMe is incredibly bolstering. Like strikes are, they, they are legal things, they are political things, but they are also just like moral events that happen with workers yeah. and it cannot be overstated how much solidarity is just, a just part of knowing it is, is just optics. how many people are there behind you, yeah. even when they don't yeah. work with you. Just seeing a list of names and scrolling for ages and just a like a Rolodex of all these different people that support you, it is incredibly empowering and it will it will help them fight for what they rightly fucking deserve. So um, go on to GoFundMe.com. Um, you can do a search for Wyong Strike Fund. That is W-Y-O-N-G, Strike Fund, and give them however much. Yeah. And the link for that will be in the show notes. Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A win a win for Wyong is a win for all workers. It's just, yeah, support these guys. Thanks for listening to Not Good Enough. You can contact us in all the socials. We love to hear from you. Shoot us a message at NotGoodPod on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. You can also email us at NotGoodPod at ProtonMail.com. Not Good Enough was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present, and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded.